Friends, thank you all for your uh, prayers and well wishes while I, while I uh, got through my little bout with the virus that shall remain unnamed. <clears throat> uh, testing negative now and all's well, feel, feel good. Wearing this just for fun. Um, and, uh, but no, I'll, I'll greet you, uh, those who come out this way, I'll be there to greet you, but we'll do fist bumps and elbow bumps today uh, just in case, okay? Um, the only evidence left is uh, my voice. Not all the way back. Um, not only do I have the face for radio now, I also have the voice for it. Um, well, you would have been proud of your pastoral staff a few years ago. Several years ago, we went downtown to do a team-building exercise at a little place called Breakout. Um, it's one of those places you go and you give money to people to lock you in a room and give you a puzzle and you have to solve it to get out, to break out. <clears throat> the room they locked us in was casino-themed. <laughs> Nevertheless, we went about earnestly connecting the dots. We were on a roll, too. We were making record time. We were killing it uh, until one of the clues led us to a roulette wheel. Um, and we were stumped by the clue. As it turns out, none of your pastors are well acquainted with gambling. <laughs> so pure in heart are we <laughs> that we needed the, uh, the master of ceremonies guy to come over the speaker and try to guide us through that particular clue and like tell us what the words meant. And Oh, so that's what that means. And we finally found the clue. I'm sure the guy watching us was like, who are these children of light? <laughs> anyway, in case you're interested, we, we missed breaking out by about 30 seconds. <clears throat> if only we'd been more worldly wise, hard-nosed gamblers before our ordinations. But you can still be proud of the fact that your staff also has much in common with one of the major prophets, Jeremiah. Because Jeremiah was also a lousy gambler. To boot, he was a really bad real estate speculator and a very impulsive investor. That's the story that David just read for us. Here's how it goes. A relative of Jeremiah named Hanamel comes to him and he's appealing to him to buy the piece of property that he owns. Back in those days, it was an ordinary request. If you had land, you really considered it a trust from the Lord. If you, had that, you wanted to hold on to it. And so if you came upon hard times, then you went to a family member first and, and pleaded with them to strike a deal just to keep it in the family fold. This is land we're talking about. So he tried to keep it in the, Hanamel came to Jeremiah, trying to keep this land in the family line. Uh, and he makes a, an appeal to the prophet, buy my field that is at Anathoth. It's really close to Jerusalem, just a little northeast of Jerusalem. Uh, in the land of Benjamin, he says, for the right of possession and redemption is yours. Buy it for yourself. So Jeremiah buys it. Doesn't sound that significant, 
until we recognize the context of this, per this land purchase. Jeremiah takes, he signs the deed, he presses his initials into the wax seal, weighs the money on the scales, 17 shekels, about seven ounces of silver. He gathers witnesses to the signing. He signs an extra copy for the register of deeds. He puts the, the official copy in an earthenware jar, seals it for all posterity. Done and done. Now there was an apparently a small crowd gathered there around the court too though because uh, in, in addition to the appointed witnesses. Why? Because small crowds always like to gather around uh, a spectacle like this. This is James Bond Casino Royale push your chips to the middle of the table kind of stuff here. Everybody's looking in and what is this guy doing? Is he crazy? Who is this big spender? Or rather, who is this arrogant fool? This is a prophet of Israel forking over more silver than he's worth in order to buy a piece of property that's going to be completely worthless before Jeremiah even has time to draw up a rental ad. Babylon is besieging Jerusalem at this moment. Doesn't he know that? Yes. He's also in jail. He's not allowed to go out of this court. He's hemmed in. He's buying real estate from inside a prison. Doesn't he know that? Yes. Doesn't Jeremiah have a clue about how the world really works, that he would make such a short-sighted, impulsive decision as, as this? Yes. Yes, Jeremiah knows all of this. He knows he's creating a spectacle with this reckless act. That's why he's doing it. Jeremiah loves performing what are called sign acts. Simply put, a sign act is something like a prophecy without words. Instead of preaching or interpreting, uh, the preacher gets tired of writing the sermons and so he acts one out. He performs a symbolic act. He creates the conditions for an event that will communicate more powerfully than any words could. You may remember one sign act uh, by Jeremiah, probably a more famous, well-known sign act than this one, when he takes an earthenware jar, holds it up before the congregation, and lets go of it, and it drops and shatters. And he pulls this, this jar-shattering stunt out by the town dump just for extra effect. He does all of this because he's been using so many words all this time to warn all of God's judgment and Jerusalem's coming destruction. But sometimes words just don't have the, the same kind of effect uh, as a pottery jar reaching terminal velocity before it hits stone. That's the power of a sign act. If I did something like that right now, none of you would remember anything I said for the rest of the week, but you would remember the jar shattering and the significance of that act. I don't have any props. It's okay. But we perform little sign acts too. Perhaps most of them are less dramatic than breaking dishes, but consider those standing before God and a wedding ceremony. You speak your wedding vows. 
Those are words for richer, for poorer, for sickness and in health. But then the minister says, may I have the rings? And we have yet to find words that weigh the exact same as each putting a ring on their beloved's finger and saying, I promise. With that sign, a promise of lifelong fidelity. But also think of something like a mother or a father signing, like co-signing a, a, a loan, a student loan. A common occurrence as this is, it does signify a special trust and a confidence that the parent has in their child. Uh, they're saying, I trust that you will be responsible. I trust that you'll be disciplined. I trust that you'll finish this race. What each of these signs signify in large ways and small is a confidence in the future of a place, the future of a person, the future of a people, even when there's no guarantee of a future. There was little or no evidence that Jeremiah's investment in the field at Anathoth would pay any dividends at all. To those observing this contract with Hanamel, he must have looked like a fool. War was inevitable. The land was already lost to a foreign power. Neither Jeremiah nor his heirs would see any kind of return anytime soon. But while Jeremiah's purchase appeared impulsive at worst and impractical at best, it was nevertheless wise. Jeremiah wasn't placing his faith in the local economy. Jeremiah was making a long odds bet on God. A church member passed a story along to me this morning that um, I did have in my queue, but I'd just simply forgotten about and how timely this was that it, it made its way to me today. I want to tell you this story um, told by former pastor Cecil Sherman about a Jeremiah who rose up in, in our church in 1979. Her name was Charlotte Young. Some of you may remember her. She was 103 years old. Cecil said the, the church was in a capital campaign at the time. It had been lagging, his word. And he said, I couldn't seem to light a fire under it. And then the church held a great banquet. There were 800 people in attendance at this banquet to... Uh, to celebrate the campaign and to, to build support for it, Charlotte approached Cecil and asked if she could speak from the microphone. And Cecil said, who was I to turn down a 103-year-old woman? He said she slowly approached the platform and the whole room became silent. And with confidence, Miss Young spoke, said, I'm 103 years old. I live on a pension. I can't make a big gift to this campaign. But I can write a check. 
and I'll give it month by month. Then she specified the amount, and it was a most generous amount, Cecil said, uh, and, and then she said, I will do this once a month. I fully expect to make the 36th payment. And the whole house erupted in applause. <laughs> that would make her 106. That's confidence. The um, campaign took off, and, and Charlotte Young lived to be 108. She fulfilled her pledge. Cecil said that Charlotte Young was our Jeremiah. So if you'll, if you'll indulge me, I want to offer an updated, albeit less dramatic, version of this story. A couple months ago, I sat down with a longtime member of our church to talk about a pledge to our Sacred Places campaign. And he said, Mac, I want you to tell me the vision for this church. He was serious. He was asking me to inspire him. So I shared the vision of our congregation with a passion. And at the end of our conversation, he said, Mac, I'm sorry. I cannot make a pledge. And I walked away really discouraged. It was just one of those days. A month later, the same member came back to me and said he wanted to talk with me again. Uh, said he had thought about what I had said and he had made the mistake of thinking that I was asking him to give to the campus plan. Whole different thing. Not asking anybody to give to that. But there has been some confusion that's not a pledge campaign. When I clarified that this was about this sacred place, our sanctuary, that lifts up people's eyes and hearts and has for generations, and that we want to preserve it for generations more to come, it clicked for him, and he said, in that case, I want to make this pledge. And he slid the card, and it was a most generous gift. Now, this particular person is not quite 103. They're 90. They don't agree with all of our vision. Their way of thinking about God and life and politics and everything else probably doesn't dovetail with most of the way we might articulate those things. They don't agree with me a lot of the time. Um, but I don't take it personally because they have not agreed with a lot of pastors over the years, so there. <laughs> but they're still here. And that day he, he looked at me with a fierce and serious look and he said, I'm doing this because I believe in you. Well, the church absolutely does not look like what it did when he joined in 1965. It doesn't look like it did in 1995. It doesn't look like it did in 2015 or 2019. 
Even the very word church, the very word Christian in many circles now can invite more scoffs and harumphs than thanksgivings and praise. And from this sacred place, people have come and people have gone. Now, right on cue, the stock market is declining. Interest rates are going up. A recession seems inevitable. So, what better time to sign? What better time to press your initials into the waxen seal? To join Jeremiah and place a long odds bet on God's faithfulness.